Hello, everyone. Vincent Aiello here of the Fighter Pilot Podcast. As you may recall, I am busy learning a new airplane for my airline capacity, and Sunshine is working on his transition to being a civilian, effective today, November 1st. So we have not had a chance to put together a full feature episode for you this week, but we are working on some for the future. And so instead, what we have to offer is a replay of the Facebook Live session performed back on September 28th with previous guest, retired U.S. Navy Captain Kevin Miller, call sign Hoser, where we talk about his three books and lots of other topics. So if you caught that Facebook Live session or if you watched the YouTube replay, well, then you won't hear anything new on this episode. But if you missed it, here then is a replay of that discussion. Enjoy, and we'll see you next time. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Fighter Pilot Podcast Facebook Live session. Today, we are joined by Episode 20 guest, and retired U.S. Navy Captain Kevin Miller, call sign Hoser. Shalom. Great to be back. Good to Welcome. see you. Welcome. Yes. Well, you're becoming a regular here. Yes. And I would tell people that I called you and said, make sure you wear black. But in fact, what happened was I was putting on a polo and I thought, I bet he'll wear blue, so I'll wear black. So <laughs> I guess I should have assumed that you would think right. that I would wear blue so that you would wear... Okay, anyway. Wear the proper flight deck uniform. <laughs> well, we look like we coordinated, so that's a good thing. All right, everybody, so welcome. What we're going to do here is we're going to see what's new in Hoser's world, which is not that old as far as we just saw you not long ago, this month, actually, for the Reno, yes. tailhook in Reno. And then we will talk about his three novels, including really kind of drill down on your latest fight fight. So we'd like to know how that one's doing, etc. cetera. Uh, so before we start, though, what brings you back to beautiful Coronado? Here to see uh, a shipmate, uh, Rear Admiral Sky Crane. Okay. Who is that's a good uh, call sign. Yes, uh, <laughs> uh, my uh, shipmate aboard uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower in the early '90s. Uh, Sky I was F-14 pilot then and VF-143. Cool. And uh, he just relinquished command of Commander Naval Air Forces Reserve. So uh, he is the reserve component commander of, uh, of Bullet Miller's Naval Air Forces. Okay. And uh, in, in that role, uh, everything from fighters to, uh, to logistics and, and everything in between, uh, you know, we, we can't do it without the reserve component. Sure. And we've had some reserve folks on the show. Episode 2, Ferg, I believe, is an FTS, right? Yes. And the listeners will hear tomorrow an episode from Rear Admiral retired uh, Mac McLaughlin over on the USS Midway, who was a TAR, they used to call yes, it. Yes. Uh-huh. And now an FTS. So do you know Mac? I've met him once. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's a funny guy. So everyone will hopefully love that show. All right. Well, so welcome back to Coronado. And uh, let's see. Well, let's just jump right in. So when we heard from you in episode 20, now you and I recorded that, I believe, back in February. Yes. And for various reasons, we didn't air that until over the summer. But during that one, we talked about your first novel, Raven One. And at the time, we talked a little bit about, and we can revisit it here, that is set in what most of today's modern active duty military folks, particularly aviators, are used to, and that is in the Middle East. What drove you to using that theater, or was it the fact that it was so common? Um, I think it's, it's because it's so common. It really is for a, a generation of carrier aviators are familiar with a place called Carrier Box 4 in the northern Arabian Gulf. Some mm-hmm. call it the Persian Gulf. Sure. Um, and from 1990, really until today, uh, aviators have been deploying there and and uh, most of that time in combat. I mean, you know, when Desert Storm ended in 1991, it was a truce, and uh, guys like me flew no-fly zone patrol, and then sometimes that would heat up and 
and of course in 2003 it, it heated up again with uh, with Iraqi freedom and 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 subsequent so yeah. it's the story of uh, of our era really and uh, uh, what it's like to be a modern carrier pilot uh, just like um, the bridges at Toko Ri and flight of the intruder characterized the Korean and the Vietnam Wars. Sure. Well, so to your point, my very first deployment in 1997 aboard the George Washington in VFA 86, we were told we had this honeymoon med cruise where all these ports were on the schedule and something happened. Uh, Saddam Hussein kicked out some inspectors and so I think it was President Clinton at the time decided to dial it up and we got sent straight there. Yes. And in five deployments, so four subsequent to that one, then all of them for me were to the to the Arabian Gulf. Didn't matter if I was East Coast as I was for that one and the next one, also in VFA 86, or from the West Coast, we all made our way over yes. there. The only time I deployed and did not go to the Gulf was when I was in Air Wing 5 in Japan. And I think, I'm not sure if it's formal or not, but they tend to stay sort of in that area, the uh, Western Pacific. Yes, and uh, they but, have a role there. Right, for sure. So otherwise, though, you are spot on. I don't know how many missions I have over Iraq, most of them fairly benign, but certainly that was the, um, that, that's been the place for our generation. I think that's well put. All right, so then fast forward to declared hostile. Now we move things into Central slash South America. Yes, uh, declared hostile takes place in the Caribbean. Okay. And the United States has been fighting this war on drugs. You may have heard about it. <laughs> so we went um, from a war on terror to a war on drugs. So, yes. All right. And, uh, and, and so frontline naval aviation, fighter aviation certainly has, has not fought that war. I mean, I've, I did workups down there like you probably did when you were in uh, VFA 86. Yes. And, uh, okay, if you see something suspicious out there, come back and tell the ship, okay. But, you know, we don't really know what we're looking for. It's right. a Coast Guard thing. Right. But uh, in declared hostile, um, the United States takes the gloves off, so to speak, and uh, we really fight it. So I kind of explore uh, that part of the world and what's going on down there, the country of Venezuela, mm -hmm. which has, I believe, the largest oil reserves of any country in the world. Is that right? Wow. And uh, it is, uh, you know, a generation ago, one of the richest countries in the world. That's not the case now. Mm. And uh, talk about uh, the, the drug cartels and, and what a business that is. Mm -hmm. And uh, and this thing called convergence that was, I believe, a term coined by uh, Admiral Stavridis is, uh, you know, uh, failing states and uh, illegal cartels and uh, and bad, uh, bad actors, uh, Iran comes to mind, mm -hmm. uh, that can come into an area and, and set up shop, if you will, that, that's not good for not only in the United States, but uh, freedom around the world. So, right. so this, is, uh, this is touched on in that novel. And then, of course, all the, the writing room drama that we love, there, there's plenty of that in there. Well, and I wanted to touch on that before we get to your latest novel. Y you, your M.O., if you will, in your novels is, expo at least from my impression, exposing the reader to life as a naval aviator. And you do that through real-world... I know you hate my t Titanic <laughs> example from before, and I do apologize for that, but you, you use real-world possible events between people and events on the carrier, and then you weave in this fictional story. But when we hear of the things that Flip goes through, who's kind of our hero through the three, or Olive, or, you know, the... the, the now, at some point, folks, if you haven't read these, there could be spoiler alerts here, so let's just uh, mention that here. But you, you talk about... Um, 
the barricade right off right off the bat in Raven yeah. One, and and that is obviously possible. In fact, I think at least two F-18s have taken the barricade. You talk about an ejection, and Flip goes through an awful experience, not only just trying to get his parachute on the ground, but then in the survival and evasion and resistance portion. And so you've really, I think, captured the world that you and I live that not everyone has and presented it in a nice, succinct way where people can get a feel for that and really get engrossed in the story. Because let's face it, stories are way more engaging for people than just reading facts. Yes. And and in a story, in a novel, you can explore the emotions. Now, now, you know, real life narrative nonfiction, you know, accounts of, of great battles in uh, in world history are fascinating to read. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and many of them, you know, give insight into the, the hearts of, and minds of the of the uh, the people involved. But uh, but you know, novels do that very well. And uh, and I, I'm able to you know, you hit on something, you know, how did I write my novels and especially Raven One is a series of vignettes. Okay, we're going to talk about uh, close air support. Now we're going to talk about a port visit. Now we're going to talk about a a one v one turning engagement. Harry, I'm talking with my hands. All on right, the fighter, it, that's that's allowed. I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> it is. Uh, we have a proper finger positioning. I even put my watch on just yeah, so I have okay, something I, to aim standing. for. <laughs> um, and, and so, uh, so and uh, a night pitching deck barricade. I mean, it doesn't get much more dramatic than that. It's true. Um, I witnessed one in my career, in the, in the '80s, and. Uh, it did not have a happy ending, oh. and and uh, but uh, but certainly can can draw on, on those emotions of of, uh, of seeing that you know um, imagining myself in a cockpit of a of an aircraft low fuel night pitching deck, and uh, and what what would what would that be like? And there's all kinds of people involved. There's certainly the pilot, the landing signal officers, sure. and I was an LSO in my career, and uh, and people in air ops, the captain of the ship, all kinds right. of people. Yep. Well, I think you do a very good job of explaining all that, but still making it interesting. Even having lived the life, granted not the barricade and the 1v1 real world and shoot downs and ejections, thank goodness, I still, I, I ate it up. I read your last book, which is what, about 400 pages? Yes. In about 10 days. You gave it to me at Tailhook, thank you, a personalized copy, and I finished it by about the 17th or 18th. I, I write epics. They're big. <laughs> They're very good. So I think for anyone out there, and I'm not just trying to promote your books, but anyone out there who's tuning in to the Fighter Pilot Podcast because they enjoy the subject will definitely enjoy your books because it gives you that glimpse into it, and it's there on demand, i.e. turn the pages or push play on the first two books as far as Audible goes, yes. and, and you can see it. So take a look for yourself, and just a quick plug for the website, uh, fighterpilotpodcast.com. They are on there. It doesn't cost him anything if you order. Amazon just gives up a little bit and helps support my website, or show, I should say. So if you want to do that, go take a look for that. Now, again, another thing before we get to Fight Fight, because that's where I want to kind of drill down a little bit on the South China Sea and all that. There's a topic I've been debating with myself all day of bringing up, because the world seems, right now, I should say society, so intolerant to any differences in opinion unable to have differences in opinion, that I'm fearful that if I even bring this up, someone's going to think I have some agenda or something else. So with that caveat, let me simply say that I am no more, I don't think, racist or sexist than anyone else. But that being said, I am a human being. So I acknowledge and recognize that I have biases, I have stereotypes, and I try to quelch those as much as I can. So that being said, 
I will confess that halfway through Raven 1, when you identified Wilson, Flip, as a man of color, that broke down a stereotype I had in my mind. I pictured him as white. You thought he was Tom Cruise. I figured he looked like you or me. And I'll tell you why. I'm not proud of this, but it's true. Numerically speaking, Hoser, less so since when you and I came in, numerically speaking, most fighter pilots are white males. Yes. So I'm not saying that's right. That's just what it is. So to me, there, in fact, there is a man of color right now who's, I believe, a DCAG. So one of, right, how many air wings do we have? Ten, CAG and DCAG. So out of 20, there's one. So for me, I, I'm not proud of it, but I pictured a white man. And then you introduced him as a man of color. And I'm curious, was there some agenda, not to assume anything on your part either, but what was the, or was it to throw people like me off, what was the idea of, and again, I don't like saying what was the idea, like you betrayed me, but why, when, when numerically men of color, see here's the slope I was afraid of, when men of color are so relatively rare in our ranks, not a good thing, but true, why introduce Flip as one? The simple answer is it just came to me. Now, um, um, as I was you know, reading about, uh, okay, how to, I'm going to write a novel, how do you do that? So I, I read some books on, on writing. And uh, there, there are schools of thought, okay, you, you, you don't want to describe, all right, he had, had blonde hair and, and long sideburns or this or that. Just, you know, the character is Jones, and, and, and the reader can, can figure that out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I decided, uh, okay, I'm, I'm exploring, um, you know, what's, what's going on with the human beings on this, on this ship, this, you know, this small town of 5,000 people. And, uh, and they come from all walks of life, as we know. Yes, they do. And the door is open to people from all walks of life since 1993 with uh, the inclusion of women uh, in, in, in all jobs. So when you came in, a woman could not be a fighter pilot. That's, that's partly correct. True, right? uh, it's partly true. Uh, I, I uh, arrived in Pensacola in flight school in 1981, and there was a female in my class. And uh, I think maybe females had been uh, allowed to be pilots, uh, maybe only five years earlier or something like that. Um, but, but everyone knew that, that she was not going to be on a, on a frontline squadron, but there's certainly various support squadrons right. where, where she had a very successful career as others before her had. Um, and uh, in, uh, another a woman I went to flight school with in Meridian, so you know, a jet pilot, and, and she flew the A4 in a support role which plenty of, uh, of men did in, in the 1980s, but all that ended in 1993. Okay, now the, the frontline fighter squadrons are open to you. Now, that, there was a huge upheaval then, and don't need to go into that. People are but, resistant to change sometimes. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, for the past 25 years, it, that's been the case. Um, in my first squadron in 1984, uh, there was one black pilot. And halfway through my workups in that tour, uh, he left the squadron. It was time for him to, to roll ashore. And I never served in the same squadron with another black pilot. Now, certainly, I, I know others that are mm-hmm. sprinkled about, as, as we both do. But that, that, never, that never happened again. Okay. This pilot is, is black or Irish Catholic or, you know, pick your... Pick your Finish uh, your time. Does the airplane care? Not at all. Not one bit. 
And, uh, you know, and I've heard four stars say, you know, we don't care where you went to school. We don't care if you went to the academy or some southeastern conference party school. It doesn't matter to us. <laughs> can you fly the airplane? What can you do? Can right. you do the job? So uh, I think the readers, uh, to, to answer your, your question, this is the long answer. I'll give you the short one <laughs> initially. Uh, the, 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 the readers can, can come away with, yeah, it doesn't matter. Can you do the job? Oh, I was surprised. I guess I had a preconceived notion. I absolutely but, did. But it doesn't matter. And, and Flip, it, you know, he's a squadron opso, top gun bro, outstanding pilot, and is the hero, a great leader. Everyone looks up to him. Is, is he a black fighter pilot, or is he a fighter pilot that happens to be black? Bingo. And again, the jet doesn't care, but just to make the point that you do so well that people seem to care, what happens when he meets his adversary over Iran? Yes. He cares. And, and so uh, I, I explore the, the, the Iranian mind, and I, I have an Iranian friend that I asked. Hmm. I say, okay, in, in, this, in this situation, uh, what would the Iranian fighter, what would be going through his mind? And it'd be like, I, I didn't know that the Americans conscripted Africans to fly their fighters. And, and, yeah. and so that's, that's you know, maybe a perception from around the world. And yeah. so, uh, so I included that in there. I thought that was, that was very interesting. Well, again, Arguably a delicate subject. I, I don't feel like it should be because I acknowledge my shortcomings and I recognize the world is what it is. And to the point of does the airplane care? No. But someone, if they really wanted to make an issue of this, could say, sure, but you boys, when you were young, had privilege that maybe other families don't get. And so those young men can't. Run. Anyway, it, I, I, I like the way you handled it because it, it broke down a stereotype or a preconceived notion that I had. But then you never really come back to it. Right. And I mean, it never really mattered after that. It, it, it didn't matter. At least after and, Raven and, 1 when he meets his opponent. Right. And, and so uh, and, and Raven 1 brought up and didn't spend a whole lot of time on it. Um, there, there is that dramatic scene with, with Saint at, at the end of Raven 1. But uh, I, I, I didn't go, go back to that again. There, there's, no, there's no need to. Right. It doesn't matter. And frankly, the English language is such that with Olive, we might not have otherwise been reminded and I don't mean that to sound like, you know, I needed to know that she's something other than, you know, quote-unquote normal. I mean, Olive is a female. She is capable. Your book demonstrates that. And except for the fact that the pronouns you're using, she, her, et cetera, it really doesn't matter. Right. She's getting the job done. Exactly. And, and um, I uh, served with a, uh, a wonderful pilot in my squadron when I was a CO and uh, call sign Yukon. And uh, I hope she's listening. She, she may be. Uh, but uh, but Yukon in 1998 in Operation Desert Fox uh, was the first female American fighter pilot to expend weapons in anger. And she got a lot of press attention. The very next day on, on the Enterprise, I mean, you know, People Magazine and U.S. News report the very next day we're still in combat. And, uh, and they're interviewing her. And uh, she could not have carried herself better. She's cool. a superb officer. And... Um, you know, she left naval aviation and continued her career in another field and, and, uh, and re retired as a senior officer. Um, but, uh, right, it didn't matter. You know, she, she did her job um, and was proud to do it. And we depended on, on her to do her part and the strike that she was on that built on subsequent strikes had complete confidence in it. Cool. Excellent. All right. However. Yes. There are issues today uh, with the male female dynamic it's just it's just nature <sighs> anyone who's watching the news it's just knows it's that just, that's right and, and so so uh 
you know, to be a to be a squadron commanding officer. And we're not talking necessarily pilots. We're talking, uh, you know, sailors who are just one year removed from high school, all the, the high school fun there, <laughs> and now they're in uniform and they're on a ship. Right. And, you know, how, how can a human being, okay, we're, we're, now we're going to be Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts on this on this uh, ship here. Well, of course they're interested in each other. Sure. And, and uh, you know, leadership challenges uh, arise. Good order and discipline is difficult to maintain, but it was before also. It was just different issues. Different issues. So now you have, to your point, 18-year-olds, with hormone levels that are peaking because that's an age where that happens and they're confined close together. So yes, that can be a challenge, but you know, there are, what is it? Problems to solve and tensions to manage. That sounds like a tension to manage as so many things are yes. in life. And so that is the burden of leadership. So I went one B one with these two issues right off the bat. Good for you. Well, I thought you handled it well and I don't know if we handled it well, but again, it's an issue that some people demand to make an issue out of, and I personally try our, not to. Our, our military, that's right, our, our military is uh, is completely integrated. It's one of the greatest institutions in our society that is, uh, again, because, you know, we, we just ask each other, you 